Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorla. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Last week, we started a brand new series in theological education. Throughout this series, we will be interviewing Southeastern students, faculty, and alumni. Today, we're continuing that series by talking about pastors and theology with a friend and a mentor of mine, Dr. Keith Whitfield. Dr. Whitfield serves as the provost and professor of systematic theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's authored and edited several books, including Trinitarian Theology, Theological Methods, and Doctrinal Application. Dr. Whitfield, thank you for taking some time to join today's discussion and to continue this series in theological education. And it's really great to be here and appreciate what you guys do on Pastors Matters. So let's start the conversation by maybe just you sharing a little bit about your journey. Uh, Your main concentration is systematic theology. What made you pursue this 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 thing we call systematic theology, and what was that journey like? Yeah, it's a great question. Really what made me pursue it are two questions that have gotten me up out of bed for as long as I can remember, and I really mean for as long as I can remember. I remember as an elementary school kid wondering about these two questions, and first is what does it mean to be biblical, and how do people change? Mm. And I don't know why those questions were so important to me even at that age. I remember taking copious notes on Sunday mornings as the, as the preacher was preaching and then going home trying to figure out where he got these thoughts from the text. Because I wanted to know, I believed that this book, the Bible, uh, was inspired by God in 2,000 years ago, but it's to guide God's people for all times, all places, mm-hmm. and all peoples. And so what does it mean for us to live by this book? Uh, so th- I think that's a fundamentally a theological question. Mm. And then uh, the other was how people change. Because I just I believed that at the heart of the gospel is that God came to us so that we would be different, mm. uh, to be conformed in the image of his son. So how does God work in the lives of his people to bring about what we call sanctification? Uh, I know that you've had experience uh, as a pastor. You've served several years as a, as a pastor. How did your understanding of theology shape your understanding of preaching, and and how does it in general, not just for you, but for pastors in general? Yeah, so my understanding of theology really flows out of a text like 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19, God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the basic theological claim of the Christian faith, and everything else is just an exposition of that. And I think it is central to our faith, and so... What it means to pastor is it means to help shepherd people mm-hmm. to believe that, that God is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, mm-hmm. and to be a part of that. Be a part of that in two ways. To be a part of that in terms of their own reconciliation to God, which includes that change, that transformation that takes place. Um, but also, Paul goes on to say, and we are ambassadors of this ministry of reconciliation. So to be a part about of it in terms of proclaiming. So that means the pastoral task is a fundamentally a theological task mm-hmm. to see people change in the image of Christ and to um, mobilize God's people to be on mission with him. It's a theological task at, at its core. And so the, when we teach the scriptures, we're not teaching history. We're not teaching um, a, a dictionary what words mean. 
we're not, you know, we're not teaching just moral principles. We're teaching how God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This mm-hmm. is the story of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you talked about there being a pastoral task in doing this. So how is that actually done, right? So, so how can pastors help their members develop a deeper understanding of Scripture and theology? Because we know, you know the, the, the sermon is an hour a week. So what are some other ways that, obviously they're preaching, but what are some other ways that pastors do this? And what are some resources you might, might recommend for pastors to maybe recommend to their members. Now, you know, most members aren't seminary students, so you don't want to like give them volumes and volumes and volumes of systematic theology. So what are some really just concise, good resources you'd recommend? No, it's good. I mean, I don't want to, you moved quickly away from the sermon. Uh, I mean, you acknowledge its importance. It is, it right. is critically important. Right. Mm-hmm. It is the opportunity that pastors have to shepherd and form their people to think theologically, but more than think theologically, to believe what the Christian faith calls us to believe and to learn how to live out their faith in light of what they believe, that moment is so critical. And it's not just the sermon. It's the entire gathered time for the for the body of Christ. It's the singing. It's the way that you lead in transitions. It's the praying that takes place. It's when you have the opportunity to do uh, the ordinances, when you're holding up the elements for the Lord's Supper, and you mm. explain what these things right. mean and when you mm-hmm. baptize and what that means. Mm-hmm. And then in the hallway, when you're talking to one another about their life and mm. you season those conversations with theological truths, and when you do counseling, and when you celebrate what God's doing in people's lives, you're, all of these things is teaching people to do theology. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. pro- perhaps more, the most important things you can do. And then, and then I do think uh, it's good for God's people to be readers. Uh, and there's all sorts of great books. Uh, there's tons of great books. Um, and there are short books and long books. And to make those available to your to people, I think it's really, really critical. I, I'm going to talk about a couple of authors and then maybe I'll talk about a couple of books. Michael Reeves has a number of little books. Right. He's right. just a really good communicator of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say anything that Michael Reeves does, uh, Delighting in the Trinity. That one's such a good book. It's and such it, a good book. And it, book. it really is small, and it's actually really easy to read. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, it's in, yeah, it's, it's engaging. It's easy to read. It's small. And it's not just about the Trinity. It's about yeah. the entirety of the Christian right. faith. Mm-hmm. And it's a short, systematic theology moving from the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of God, uh, all the way to the doctrine of the Christian life, mm-hmm. all the way through. So, I mean, it really does provide that sort of, in you know, about 120, 130 pages, provides, and then it's got Rejoicing in Christ, which yeah. is a little volume about union with Christ. Yeah. So I'd say anything that Michael Reeves does would be a, something I would encourage people to to read. I, 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 you can't get better than J.I. Packer's Knowing God. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think John Stott's um, The Cross of Christ mm-hmm. is, is really... Uh, another great classic. It's these types of authors, and I just say, you know, make them available for your people. Read with them. Encourage them to read. Tell them what you're reading. I think that's a, that's important. But I actually think sometimes we overemphasize getting people books, which I'm a book guy, you mm. know. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> but I think we form people to think and live out their faith, which is a theological task, mm-hmm. as we live our faith with them in corporate worship and discipleship Mm. and in fellowship. Yeah, that's really helpful. Real quick, I mean, I'm sitting in here with both of you, which have served as mentors to me in my life. And one thing that I can say about both of you that is key for pastors is being accessible to answer questions. Yeah. 
uh, your people are going to read these books and they're going to have questions because this is there's some difficult things to think about and wrestle with. And having a pastor that's accessible to answer those questions is is very important for your people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think another thing we do with Christian books is we see them not intentionally. Nobody would say this, but as a replacement of reading the Bible. That's good. As if we read the through Christian books, that's where we get our theology. Know that it's in, it's in the Bible that we get our right. theology. Mm-hmm. So teaching our people to read the scriptures theologically. Yeah. You know, what is this teaching me about God? What is it teaching me about God's work? What does it mean? What is it calling me to? How is it calling me to respond to that in faith and belief and what God has done for me? And so, I, giving these your people these theological questions, equipping them to read the Bible in light of these things, um, and I think that's another mm. really important piece of this. Any resources you'd add to that, Ronjor? Oh boy, uh, Packer, you're like the human library over here. Yeah, Packer is is solid gold. I mean, uh, knowing God was was really one of the first books uh, that that really awakened my 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 mind and heart to you know the reality of who God is. Um, Maybe on a on a bit more practical level, someone like a Sproul. Don't read his stuff on baptism, but 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 anything else, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, the holiness of God was was a great, you know, really accessible introduction for me uh, to uh, the the attribute of God's holiness um, in the scriptures. Uh, uh, Stott obviously is is fabulous as well. Uh, Cross of Christ um, uh, is is a great introduction to uh, the doctrine of the atonement, and and even looking historically at, at different developments of that doctrine. Uh, yeah, I mean there are there are so many things, especially out these days, where where I think there's a greater emphasis on making theology accessible. Uh, that that's actually really encouraging to me. Um, you have folks that uh, that want to dig deep uh, deeply into theology, and I think there's right. there's certainly a place for that. But we can get so caught in, into the in the weeds of it, if you will, that we forget that there are people who are just starting out. There are people right. that are just learning, mm-hmm. um, or people that just have grown up in in, in non theologically astute. You know circles and and so on, and uh, you know they just need they need a square one. Mm-hmm. You know they need a first base, and so I'm glad to see that we're uh, providing resources to really bridge that gap there. Well, something you had said, uh, Keith, earlier too that I thought was really helpful was that theology is isn't just uh, books, but theology is really you know being with you know the theologian, being with the the pastor. And, and I think about that uh, in, in terms of what we see even from the scriptures. I mean, when we talk about people walking with Jesus, they literally walked with Jesus, right. <laughs> you know, just kind of following tr- the tradition of the rabbis. Um, it was even picked up with the with the um, uh, the um, the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, and so on. They just had a a group of people that just did life with them. They just walked with them, and so much of theology is taught, and we do have to you know keep that emphasis. But so much of theology is also caught. And there are things that people will pick up on, you know, uh, the way you understand the Lord, the way that you understand, you know, his attributes, the way that you understand, you know, his ways and so on by observing the way you live. Right. So, you know, I can teach the sovereignty of God or I could just say, watch how I pray. 
<laughs> you know, watch mm, how I how I regularly go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, that says so much about the sovereignty of God uh, that you may not even be able to articulate uh, if you just sat and taught a class on the, the on the on the sovereignty of God. So yeah, uh, there's much that is taught, and then there's so much that is caught as well. Mm, that's good. So, what are some characteristics of a good theologian? This is somebody listening right now. How do they know they're doing this right? I think if it's changing their life. Carl Barth's mom asked him, what good is it for you to be the world's leading theologian if it doesn't change your life? Mm. So if it's not changing your life, you're not actually doing theology. You're learning words. And you may be thinking about those words and formulating arguments, but you're not doing theology because theology is about knowing God. And knowing God will bring about transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what uh, this is why the uh, the wisdom literature says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Yeah. It's because knowing Him leads to a different way of living. Um, and so you're you're not you're not a good theologian if what you're confessing isn't changing the way you, the way you live. Uh, another characteristic of a good theologian is that is a careful reader of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, can see the theological connections in the biblical text, can give exposition to those theological connections so that, so that it helps people live their faith. Mm-hmm. Another good characteristic of, a, uh, of a, a good theologian is to understand what the center of theology is. Sometimes we spend too much time on the peripheral of theology because we have these perennial hot topics or these perennial debates, and we think theology is trying to sort out these issues. No, theology is at the core is God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Mm-hmm. A good theologian understands that's the center. Mm-hmm. And whenever he, he or she has to run to the peripheral to deal with one of those issues, they do so only so that they can come back to the center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not out here just dealing with these things, and they understand the connection between the two. So this is not just uh, curiosity. You know, this is not just... Um, intellectual gymnastics. Mm-hmm. You know, this is actually trying to know God and what he's doing in the world. So I think that's another good characteristic of a theologian. I think a, a, a final characteristic, there's so many here, but the, the theologian who knows what they can know for certain and what they mm-hmm. yeah. believe, uh, have good reasons to believe and know how to hold those things that they can know for certain and what they have good reasons to believe um, and they can interact with other people. And so they don't put everything in the certain hand. And if you don't believe that's as same level of certain as they do, that there's some sort of problem with your mm-hmm. theology or your faith. Mm-hmm. So a good theologian um, understands what it means to be a Christian, what we must affirm, and then understands that these things that are maybe what we call second or third tier theological issues, uh, while they can be really important. Hmm. Um, and they're not they're not unimportant, but they're not central yep. and knows how to adjudicate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the why, because I want to pull right. back something you said earlier that I actually do think is a, is a big issue that could be a really bad characteristic of a theologian. Why do we believe these things? Do we do, are you reading books and letting the positions of those people that you respect, those those book type, whatever, navigate what your theological positions are? Or are you looking at what the scriptures say and letting that be the thing that's shaping and molding you and letting those other resources just be, you know, helpful when you have questions or when you're trying to think more about or exploring what other positions are for sure? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. I, I tell my students all the time that we don't we don't read the Bible to do theology, and then that's somehow the end of it. That we read the Bible, we think theologically, and it takes us back to the scriptures mm-hmm. to read the Bible again, mm-hmm. so that our theological thinking will be deeper. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think that the theological product is the end in itself, and once we get there, we, somehow we're done with this. Mm. But, it, but this is commentary on Scripture, and it takes us back to Scripture so that we can read and engage God's Word and hear it more clearly, uh, ask it the, the questions it needs to ask so that it speaks to us and we receive God's Word uh, with more faithfulness and more understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly if we're talking about an infinite being, if we're talking about the living God, you can never get to a point where you say, oh, yeah, I know, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I already heard that before. I already got that. You know, no, you never get that. You know, there's always more to get. You know, there's always uh, there. There's more and more depth, more and more vistas. You know, there you will never exhaust the inexhaustible God. And so there's always more to learn. There's always more to to grasp. There's there are more uh, nuances and so on that you didn't see 20 years ago that now you see uh, and and think we'll be doing this forever. Mm. Uh, we'll be yeah. we'll be learning more and more about him for ever uh, because there is forever's worth <laughs> to know about him uh, uh, in our uh, not just knowing about him but knowing him so yeah absolutely so so as a pastor you've got yourself you know and you, you get up into the pulpit and you've got to take a stand on 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 certain theological issues you got to say this is what I think the the scriptures are teaching. Uh, and you obviously want to shape your members uh, to do that as well. You want to help navigate and guide them uh, to think uh, theologically sound uh, and, and to take theologically sound positions. So how do you do that? How, how do you think through uh, the different theological positions and, and how do you adopt them and how do you help your members do that too? Really good question. Um, and it takes a lot of care to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we don't want to do is do theological drive-by. Uh, whether we either take shots at someone else or we just assert theological truths uh, without giving people reasoning and understanding and building that truth out so that they see where it comes from the scriptures, but also see the sort of the robustness of the truth. Uh, I think the other thing we want to do is we don't want to just target the head. We want to target the heart with theological truths. Mm-hmm. We want to call faith out mm-hmm. with theological truths. I think that we want to make sure that we understand why it is we're dealing with the theological truth. How are we serving them in their faith? Mm-hmm. Uh, some theological truths are related to the gathered body and the practices of that body and why they do what they do. And so when you're dealing with those truths, that's, that's how you need to be targeting. Mm-hmm. Some are cultural and apologetic issues. And so as you, as you hold them up and deal with those, I think you've got to deal with those in the right way. And I think those kind of cut at least in two different ways. One is to help them think carefully so that they're not held captive by ideas that are foreign to Scripture, but they also to equip them to go and engage other people who may be held captive. Mm-hmm. And so you want to cut in both of those directions uh, as well. And it's not—I just don't think theology is done for theology's sake. Yeah. That's the point. Mm-hmm. The point is that what we, ne- we need to know why it is that we're dealing with this, how we're trying to serve our people's faith, 
and address these theological truths for that reason. This is not just inquisitive Mm -hmm. at a time, right? And and the other thing you're not doing as a pastor is you're not trying to make little theological disciples where you're trying to get everybody on the very same page that you're on. Right. That's a good point. and so I think if you if you think about it in those terms, I think it can be really, really helpful. I love what Gerald Bray says in the beginning of God is Love, his little uh, his systematic theology, which is fascinating. Uh, just a quick story behind that book. Uh, Crossway comes to him and wants him to write a systematic theology. He's like, I'm really not interested in writing a systematic theology. He said, but I will do it on one term. I write what I want, as much as I want, and no footnotes. And there's very few footnotes in here. Um, so uh, anyway, he's in the beginning of this uh, volume. He says, he says, God does not reveal to us everything about himself. Mm-hmm. What he reveals about himself is what we need to know to be able to trust him mm-hmm. and to live for him in the world. Mm. Yeah. And so whatever it is we're teaching our people, that's what we need to understand, that God has revealed what he's revealed to our people through his word and to us so that we would learn to trust him and live for him in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think those are just really nice guiding principles yeah. for us, I think, as we think about teaching theology in the context of a local church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. It's so, not to try to make people super Christians. That's, that's mm-hmm. another thing that sometimes mm-hmm. happens, right? Go to this discipleship class. You become a super Christian if you, <laughs> if you take the systematic yeah. one and two. That's not the point. Yeah, yeah. That's just not the point. Hey, Southeastern family, this May we want to ask you to consider supporting Southeastern by praying, sending, and giving. We want to ask you to remember these three dates. On May 13th, we will celebrate graduation on our campus. Please pray for the 273 new Southeastern graduates as they go well-equipped to wherever God calls them. Sunday, May 15th is Seminary Sunday on the SBC calendar. Please take this opportunity to share Southeastern with others and to recommend us to any men and women seeking to pursue theological education. Finally, on May 19th, we will recognize our charter date with a day of giving. Generous donors have provided a $25,000 matching gift challenge for this day. Please consider giving to support our students and remember that every dollar given is one less dollar a student will need to pay in tuition. So this may join us in our mission to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission by praying for our graduates, sending students to be equipped, and by giving. Because you pray, send, and give, we are going. Now, now we're talking obviously within the context of the of the church, and and I would assume that there that you as a pastor would would want to grow theologically, and I'm sure that you have members who want to grow theologically too. But we're we're also talking about a culture where theological reflection is is just bizarre, and and to be honest, reflection period is result is is bizarre. We just we're just not a reflective people. You know, we're not a reflective culture. Uh, and, and so everything is quick. Everything kind of what you're saying, kind of the drive by, you know, uh, we, we have these, you know, these sound bites and, and everything is, you know, what do I need to, to have right now in this moment? Uh, you know, and so on, you know, um, uh, we're, we're kind of in a shoot straight, uh, you know, type of, uh, type of society. And so how do you do 
theological uh, reflection in a culture that that really dismisses it altogether? Uh, and and how do you promote it? No, really good question. Uh, I you know I think another thing and I thought about this at the end of last question. Um, not everybody in your church is going to engage theological truths or the theological reflection at the same level. We have mm-hmm. to. I think I think we should accept that. Uh, people that are in your leadership pipeline that are going to be teachers and leaders, potentially elders or deacons, you're going to want them to engage these things. You want to equip them in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, other folks you want to equip in, a, in, a, in another kind of way. I, you know, and I think you're right. I think we we do um, suffer with reflection. I also think that you know people may reflect a little more than we give them credit for. You know. My mom doesn't have any theological training. She's one of the best theologians that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I need just to kind of be recentered, mm-hmm. when I and I, I just need I need clarity, I call my mom. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I know she's going to give it to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She's walked her faith now mm-hmm. for fifty years. Mm-hmm. She trusts Jesus. She trusts God's sovereignty. She's patient with God and work in her life, and she just tells me to do those things. And while that may not be deep theological reflection, but my mom has lived reflecting on those truths, and it's shaped the way she lives. And whenever she's going to give counsel to me or to my brother or to my kids or to people that come to her for counsel, I mean, she does this reflexively. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, cultivating and encouraging that, uh, among your people, I think is really important. So I just think recognizing that people are going to engage this at different levels, and I think the, uh, the the gathered body gives us an opportunity to do some reflection. You know, give people an opportunity to pray in the gathered body about mm. a particular aspect of God's character. Yeah. yeah, reflective to something specific going on in their life or going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Just give them an opportunity to reflect, mm-hmm. um, or even through the ordinances, or through, like or through the ordinances. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and teach your and teach your leaders to be people that promote reflection, even if it means we're only reflecting forty five seconds. Mm-hmm. Just believing, building that in, that can be really transformative for people. And then there's going to be certain people because of the calling God has placed upon their life, because of the gifting God has given to them, they're going to give more time to reflection. They're not doing it for themselves though; mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. doing it for those people that are going to serve right. who don't have the same calling. Mm-hmm. Maybe not have the same gifting, so they're gonna they're gonna pull the fruit off of that tree, yeah. you know, from yeah. that leader, that teacher. So I think that's the way I'd be thinking about it. But uh, but I also would be thinking pastorally, when can I give them an opportunity to reflect? Mm. Yeah, you know, that's good. That's good. By the way, shout out to uh, Keith Whitfield's mom, uh, <laughs> who's been uh, walking with the Lord for fifty years, right. which is remarkable because she's only forty-five. Um, <laughs> but praise the Lord for that. Is is theology supposed to unite us? Because it really doesn't seem like it is doing a good job of it. <laughs> right. right. So is 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 there uh, an objective? Uh, to unite us, you know, that, that our theology brings us together, our theology uh, uh, galvanizes us, you know, and so on? Or is that really just wishful thinking? No, I think that is the objective when you read the scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, right? Jesus's prayer in John 17, um, at the end of all things, we're supposed to be one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, we're supposed to know the Father and know the Son, and that's going to bring us to one. So I think it is actually supposed to bring unity. 
I think the recognition, though, is that we are all, we work out of traditions. We all, we're interpreting. Right. There are things that are going to bring about division. And divisions or are, are, are differences aren't necessarily wrong or bad. Um, I think division and differences, have we have to consider those in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, and when something does bring about a division, I think it requires a lot of circumspect mm-hmm. and a lot of reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, is this division about the nature of the gospel? Is this a division about the nature of 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 the faith? Um, and it's it's the division's worth it. Mm-hmm. I like you know? the distinction that you make there: divisions and differences, right. because yeah. you know. In a local church, it, my church, I'm just thinking about my church, you know, that has multiple elders. There's some differences mm-hmm. in certain theological things, but those aren't the essential things, right? right. Mm-hmm. Those, those right. Aren't, and they're things that aren't causing and stirring up division within the church. They're still unified. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we might even say with, like, gospel denominations, those denominations are differences, but it's not division. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? We can still uh, cooperate. We can still cooperate, sure. but we also can still we can pray for them. We can... We can uh, spur them on to to love and good deeds in their own uh, ministry and uh, their sort of their, their tradition without it being a division, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The reality is the church is filled with divisions, mm-hmm. and some of those divisions were absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were there was early on those councils, those early church councils, those divisions were absolutely necessary because they were at the core of who God is. Yeah. And who God is is at the core of what God has done for us through his son in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so those things are essential. We see divisions later on in the life of the church. And then we've seen divisions in the church where, like, I'm just not sure that was worth all of it, Mm -hmm. worth all the fuss. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we need to be really circumspect about that. But I love your question. I think it is supposed to bring unity because I think it's supposed to drive us to know God. Yeah. Mm And to know God means that, uh, as we talked about before, it's it's the first step to to wisdom, and it means that there leads to humility, Mm -hmm. us laying down our preferences, Mm -hmm. you know, and for us to join God in what he's doing in the world. And that all should promote promote unity. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really helpful. So we're talking about (laughs) divisions and differences, and I I put this question in here kind of going off of that. What are are some current— Hot button theological issues that are being discussed and debated that are causing some, maybe some divisions. Specifically, thinking SBC, maybe even beyond that. Right. No, it's a good question. I think probably the and I don't, I don't hear people categorizing it this way. So maybe your listeners will hear this and don't think this is the right way to categorize it. In my mind, this is what I see is some of the uh, you know the hot button theological issues. It's the relationship between Christianity and culture. Mm-hmm. or church and, and and politics, it seems to me to be at the center of so much of the division that's going on. Um, and to the extent that some of the social, cultural, and political issues, to the extent that those should um, be uh, discussed in the church, uh, that we should have positions on them, and perhaps that some of these things have been raised up in our culture that the church needs to come back to and rethink about what is the biblical approach and what is the the biblical mandate for us on these things. Hmm. And as we have dealt with these social, cultural, political uh, issues that have come up over the last five, six, seven years, uh, what we see is that in the church there's some pretty profound 
differences mm -hmm. about how to address those things. And those differences have brought about some divisions. And I do think it requires us to be circumspect about why those divisions are there. Um, we, we talked about earlier, those you know, if it's at the center of what the gospel is, then mm -hmm. the division should be there. Mm -hmm. If it's something else, if it has to do with personal preference or it has to do with power or something like that, then perhaps the divisions don't need to be there. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that's one of the big hot button topics. Uh, another hot button topic is the issue of authority, which, again, it's not front and center. Nobody's like running around. I don't hear a lot of like coffee shop conversations about authority. But the I think the issue in our culture right now is there's been a deep uh, a decentering of authority, mm -hmm. um, and it's been coming for a long time. But it was it was uh, sped up with COVID. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And now people are like, uh, who do you listen to? Who do you believe? Where do you have a basis of kind of uh, some some authority about where where you should stand? Uh, and that just seems to be it used to be that the older generation looked at the younger generation that they don't really, they don't trust authority. Mm -hmm. Now it's everybody. Right, right. <laughs> um, it's just across the board, yeah. right? And this is impacting church life. Right. Um, in significant ways. It's, mm -hmm. in, it's impacting our, our, our society and our community life in a lot of ways, but in particular church life. Because the pastor used to be able to assume that the people that called them, him to lead them, that he had the opportunity to have a fair hearing, yeah, right, and that, right. and that they would be patient with him shepherding them to understand what the Bible teaches, and where there might be some differences, they'd be patience about working out those differences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That seems not yeah. to be now. There it's anymore. I'm, I'm gone. That's gone. Yeah. I'm gone. And right. not only is that gone, I'm gone. Right. Like if all mm -hmm. of a sudden this, the pastor starts to come alongside me in my circumstances in my life, whatever, I'm and I don't like it. I'm out. Yeah. Right. I, and we would all say our ultimate authority is the scriptures, mm -hmm. but that God has ordained his church to function in a certain way. Where we derive, we give derived authority to certain leaders who are called to lead us according to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't, that, they're not infallible. You know, their interpretations aren't errant, but we've, we've gave deference in times past to that in ways I don't see now. And I think that's a real issue in the church as well. Yeah, we were actually just talking about yeah. that very thing yesterday, Ron Joy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think yesterday I called it the the flattening out of of society. Mm -hmm. So just kind of flattening it, so that there's there's no um, there's no hierarchical structure to to anything. You know that uh, everybody sees everybody as an equal in absolutely every way. Um, and granted. Uh, that doesn't exactly work out in every situation. Um, you know, you get into the home and, you know, as a parent, I go, you're going to follow my instructions. You know, right. uh, kind of the old, you know, if you if you are under my roof, you follow my rules, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. I brought you into this world. I take you out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And 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 so what happens when you see increasingly in the home this flattening out of, of things where the child is now seen as an equal and and uh, you know you you have kind of no authoritative footing you know in the home in the church in the workplace in in society I mean there there's there's a lot that's going on there and then what does that uh, do and I guess that's maybe a little bit of the theological question you know kind of chicken chicken or the egg um, what comes first you know my 
rejecting the authority of God, which then affects my understanding of authority, you know, human authority, or my rejection of human authority will ultimately impact my understanding of, of divine authority. But you know, all of this, he said a long time coming, it, you go all the way back to the garden. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, you know, going all back. But did God say, you know, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> he, he, you're not going to die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the very first temptation. Distrust, you know, the authority. Distrust, you know, uh, God. And I think that we've grappled with that over and over again. Now, some of that is deserving. You know, there are people that have been in positions of authority that shouldn't have been trusted. Right. Uh, and they right. broke trust. And that, uh, as I've, I've told my my kids over and over again, it's so hard to earn trust and so easy to break it. Right. Uh, and once you've broken it, you're right back to square one trying to rebuild it. It's just it's a difficult, difficult thing. And so some of that we're seeing played out. Uh, but. I think it also leans into kind of that Edenic, you know, problem of uh, once I've lost trust, do I even want to trust again? Yeah. You know, or do I just take matters into my own hands and live my own life? And I think that we're seeing that across the board right now. Mm. Yeah, I think it's gonna um, it's gonna impact at least two areas. One, what does leadership look like in our culture, and in particular? in the church, and we're in a leadership crisis mm-hmm. right now. And that's yeah. a theological issue, but mm-hmm. we're in a leadership crisis. The other one is, how do we know what we know? Yeah. Um, and so where, you know, where before there's, um, you know, there were certain ways in which we would accept things to be true. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a time right now where that's going to, that's shifting some. Mm-hmm. I don't think, because I don't think we can operate this way, that we're just going to say, and your truth's your truth, and my truth's my truth. While we've tried to play that, that's been a cultural project for a little while, and that's not going to go away overnight. But we all know we can't live that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the opportunity for the church. The opportunity for the church is to provide biblical leadership models, truly biblical leadership models. Um, and the opportunity for the church is to make the case for what we believe in a compelling and a winsome uh, way um, in a way that's got good critical thinking, it's clearly communicated, um, and th- and here's why it's the opportunity because that's the only way we'll di- we'll decipher our people. Mm-hmm. Um, also, er- our culture's looking for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, here's here's a, a good uh, proof text, if you will, uh, for for the theological significance of all of this. Think about Mark ten. Uh, James and John come over to Jesus and they say, hey, we've got this proposition. Um, how about in your glory, you know, when you when you become, you know, the, you, know, you take up the kingdom and everything, how about you put two two thrones, you know, they don't have to be as big as yours, but two thrones on, on either side, one for one for me and one for one for my brother. Uh, and and Jesus obviously looks at them like they've got six heads, you know, just going, are you serious? He says, are you willing, you know, to uh, drink from the cup with which I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism with which I'll be baptized? Uh, Baptized and and they of course go yeah sure yeah we we don't even know what that means but yeah whatever you know <laughs> and and Jesus uh, is clear there in saying uh, you know hey you know we'll you know we'll we'll figure this out when we get into the kingdom but it's ultimately not mine to decide it's the father's to decide so the father is the one who gives these positions the father is the one who who delegates authority and so on that's that's up to the father. 
And then, of course, they come back to the disciples, and the disciples are all looking at them and probably smack them upside their heads. You know, what was that all about? And Jesus says, you know that the Gentiles lord their authority over, you know, over others. And then he says very clearly, not so with you. Whoever wants to be great is to become a slave. You know, whoever, you know, uh, uh, you know, wants to be exalted or so on, you know, must be the servant of all. And then he goes straight to Christology. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve mm-hmm. and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right. In other words, the foundation of how we lead and, and how we use our authority and so on is the atonement. Yep. <laughs> yep. Atonement theology actually affects the way we lead. And so how do we lead? We serve. We lay down our lives. We, you know, we become slaves, you know, uh, uh, and so on to those that God has entrusted to us. Why? Because we learn that from the cross. We mm-hmm. learn from the way Jesus led and the way that Jesus lived uh, that we lay down our lives as a, as a ransom for many. And so from the atonement, you get leadership principles, right. uh, which I think is very fascinating. Another text that's very similar, we could do this all day, is uh, um, <laughs> Philippians 2, yes. which is not, it's not a leadership text, but, it's, it, but it makes a very same point that you're making. Um, and I think sometimes pastors see equality with the office of pastor is something to be held on to. Mm-hmm. You know, their mindset of what the office of pastor is, the authority that they're supposed to have. And Jesus said he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Yeah. But he took on the form of servant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And to to serve all the way to life, uh, his death on the cross. Yeah. Um, and so I do think we're in this season where we really have to think about what does leadership look like going forward um, and I think we have to be not naive and know that, that it's going to be hard, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's going to be hard just because, you know, we, you know, we take a different leadership posture doesn't mean everybody's going to run and want to follow. Sure. It's going to be difficult, but that's the opportunity. I think leading is, is an opportunity for us. And the, the other opportunity is doing what Peter calls us to do in first Peter three, um, to give a reason for the defense in a defense for the hope that's in us. Absolutely. Mm, that's good. So it's no secret that I love history, and we've already talked a little bit about the early church, but what can history tell us about some of these divisions and differences we've seen in theology throughout you know, the church? Yeah, I mean, history helps us in so many ways. One, one of the things history does, it helps us to uh, make sure that we don't read the Bible from our own cultural situatedness full stop. It helps us to read the Bible in conversation with the church, um, and so that, I think that's that's really helpful. Uh, history helps us to see that uh, where theological differences were profitable for the church and where theological differences maybe weren't so profitable so that we don't have to go back and, which we do sometimes, but repeat the old mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think history helps us with that. I think history helps us um, know how to navigate theological differences um, and think through those things in a, in a good way and understand the importance of them. So sometimes our, our theological differences come up, and we like, we, like we've said before, we can't yet see how they are germane to what's central. central. Mm-hmm. Well, history can help us, mm. you know, with that. Right. Um, and uh, sometimes they're not, and sometimes they are. But history can help us think through those things that way as well. So 
I think we can get really good models in history. We can see bad models in history for how to do this. So there's just so much to learn uh, because you know what? There's nothing new under the sun. Mm, right. Um, and and maybe the questions phrased slightly different, the cultural problems slightly different, but there's nothing new under the sun. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And just an encouragement for pastors when we're talking about books and resources, maybe include some things from history for your people to read on how they wrestled and how they, they you know, navigated these right. difficulties. Right. Sure. a good thing. And I think the other thing it does is it helps our people um, have a sense of connectedness to this faith that's once for all delivered to the saints. Right. That the church right. has been living out now for 2,000 years. So final question here. Uh, this is a, you know, we're doing this series in theological education, so I do want to come back to our institution. So how has Southeastern helped you equip students to fulfill the mission? And just taking all of what we've talked about today, how has all of this impacted the way you being in a leadership position has led our school moving forward? Yeah, it's good. Uh, good question. You know, I think what Southeastern does, it is, we, we talked so much here, we didn't use this language so much here about just making sure we keep the main thing the main thing or stay um, stay focused on the center of the target, you know, the, um, and, then, and it's a lot of what we've discussed. And what Southeastern does, it helps us to see our, our biblical studies, um, our pastoral ministry training, uh, preaching, theological um, training, philosophy and ethics, history, everything that we do is focused on the target. Mm-hmm. And that is that we would be disciples that make disciples. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're a Great Commission seminary, um, seeking to serve the church, fill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a disciple-making mandate. And so to filter all of that through uh, that really critical text there in Matthew, Matthew 28, that really does help us to, to, uh, to, dry, to focus on what we're doing. So for me as a leader here, I just want us to stay focused on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's out there. I'm, not, I'm, not doing, I'm not creating anything. I'm just picking up the— um, I mean, you know, I'm picking up the ball where it was left and just trying to advance the ball down the field a little bit. Uh, we've been a Great Commission Seminary for almost 15 right. years. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, same mission for almost 15 years. And we are going to continue moving in that direction. And so for me, the way I think we should accomplish that is three things. I think that we accomplish that if our students are uh, – those three things are true about our students. They're consumed with a passion for the, for the nations. And that passion for the nations is going to come from a love for God first and a love for neighbor and to see that God's heart is to see people from every tribe and every kindred and every tongue come to come to faith in him so that every student, whether they're going overseas or they're staying here in North America, they're consumed with a passion for the nations. Number two, that they're disciple makers. Hmm. Um, they're not people that just think about disciple making. They're not, they're not people who just uh, read their Bible or can do really good Bible interpretation or are really good at nice theological expositions of theological truths. No, they know how to use the gifts and the talents and the knowledge and the training and the equipping that they've been given to reproduce themselves in the lives of other people. Right. They are disciple makers. Right. And then three, they're equipped to endure in ministry um, so that they know that um, what God's called them to do, they know how God has gifted them. But more importantly than that, they know that God has called them to leverage their life for, the, for their lifetime right. for the advancement of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so they're equipped to do that both in their convictions, but also they're equipped to do that in terms of 
uh, the refinement of their skills and their gifts. Um, and they go out of here really committed for the next two, three, four, five decades, however long they've got right. to give their life for this cause. You know, I said it last week. I'm going to say it again this week. What what Southeastern communicates, if you've ever been on Southeastern's campus and you see these banners as you walk down the sidewalk that says every classroom is a great commission classroom, if you've seen on social media that I am going, like those things don't make us a great commission seminary. Mm-hmm. They're They're great. They're catchy. But they don't make us that. What makes us a Great Commission Seminary is the fact that every student, every staff person, and every person in leadership is completely and utterly sold out that this is what it is about. That's right. And so, brother, I'm just so thankful that you have continued to pick up the baton and carry it forward uh, and continuing that, that legacy and that mission of our school. Well, thank you all for letting me be a part of the podcast today. Yes, that'll do it. Dr. Whitfield, thank you again for joining today's conversation. If you're listening to the podcast and you're interested in starting or furthering your theological education, consider Southeastern. We have several degrees focusing on systematic, historical, and even more recently, pastoral theology. Come study with our fantastic theology faculty, which includes Drs. Whitfield, uh, Ken Keithley, John Hammett, Stephen McKinnon, and, and many, many others. Find out more about what Southeastern offers by visiting sebts.edu. As always, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. It is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.